Section 18 of Stories Without Tears. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Stories Without Tears by Barry Payne. The Blanking Business. I do not think there are very many men who feel pleased when they are summoned to serve on a special jury. You have to neglect your business or profession, possibly for days at a time, and you get one guinea, of which you return one shilling to the usher. Yet, if you have received the mystical yellow paper, cannot persuade your doctor to give you a certificate, and have no other legal excuse, it is just as well to obey the summons. By doing so, you show that you realize the duties and responsibilities of citizenship, and that is important. By not doing so, you may, I am told, get it made unpleasantly warm for you. That also is rather important. So, one dark and foggy morning, I found my way with considerable difficulty to Queen's Bench number three and a half. There were other special jurors already there, and we gathered at the back of the court, and discussed probabilities and grumbled together while we waited for proceedings to proceed. One man happened to remark, with despairing optimism, that at any rate we got a guinea for doing it. I would cheerfully give two to get off it, I said. At that moment, someone touched me on the shoulder, and a pleasant voice said, Might I have the favor of a word with you, sir? I turned round, and saw a well-dressed, nice-looking man of about thirty. I did not remember that I had ever seen him before, and I could not think what his business with me could be. But I said, Certainly. What is it? I must ask you, he said, dropping his voice, to pardon me for having inadvertently overheard what you said just now but i understood you to say that you would give two guineas to get off serving on this jury so i would gladly he gave a charming smile quite natural it is really a great pleasure to me to be able to accommodate you when your name is called i will answer for you the officials here know neither you nor me by sight briefly I shall impersonate you with absolute safety. You can pay the two guineas now, immediately after I have answered to your name. Or, if you prefer greater security, you can give me an address at which I may call for a similar honorarium after the jury is discharged. My good man, I said, I am always found out. That is my luck. I am frequently found out, even when I have done nothing. And if I have done anything then my ultimate exposure is a certainty. I am sorry, but we cannot do business. He still retained his delightful manner. Ah, he said, then I have troubled you to no purpose, except my sincere regret. If you have by any chance a friend here, who might possibly require a substitute, a friend who has not your peculiarly unfortunate habit of being found out. Ah, quite so, I said man over there in a fur coat, Gatterly by name. He is required urgently by his business this morning. Ask for five. He is wealthy 
and if he does it at all, he would give that. This was immoral of me, and I am ashamed of it. The young man smiled, bowed, thanked me, and retired. A minute afterwards, I saw him in earnest conversation with Gatterley. Ultimately, my name was called, and I answered. Gatterley's name was also called, and there was an answer. There were twelve of us in the jury box, but Gatterley was not there, and the young man with the pleasant manners was. I met Gatterley shortly afterwards. Hello, I said. We were both called the other day, but I didn't see you in the box. Shh, said Gatterley. I wasn't there. Bought a substitute for ten pounds. A most gentlemanly young fellow. It was worth twenty times that to me, to be at the office that morning. Perfectly safe, you know. I'm disgusted with you, I said. You have no right to shirk your duties as a citizen. Who was your substitute? A man I'd never seen before, called himself Mr. Blank. Any address? None. I was sorry for that, because Mr. Blank was beginning to have some interest for me, and it would have amused me to see him again. Chance threw him in my way about a year afterwards. I saw him enter a first-class smoking compartment at Waterloo. He was wearing a moustache. Previously he had been clean-shaven, but otherwise he was unchanged. He thanked the porter who handed in his rugs and hat-box most cordially, but did not give him the customary coppers. I felt sure it was Mr. Blank, and took particular care to enter the same compartment. He recognized me at once, and remembered fully the circumstances under which we had previously met, that he had offered to impersonate me on a special jury for the sum of two guineas, and that I had been afraid to risk it. You see, he said, with the air of uprightness and candor, I make no pretense of not knowing you, or of denying what occurred. The train moved off. We are alone in the compartment, he said, and I detest secrecy, unless it is essential. To you I should especially wish to be open, for I owe you a debt of gratitude. You introduced me to your friend, Mr. Gatterley, who seemed particularly anxious to get to his business that morning. In consequence, I represented him, unworthily, but to the best of my ability, on the jury, receiving an honorarium of fifteen pounds the highest that I ever received for similar services. I believe that fifteen was the real figure. Gatterley told me ten, but he always said that he had paid less than he really did pay in order to get himself a character for sharpness. The highest that you ever received? Do you mean that you make it a business of impersonating jurors? It is merely a branch of my business. It brings me an income at the rate of two hundred and fifty pounds a year while I am at it. But I do not practice it for more than a few months in the year. The monotony would make it tiresome, and the risk of detection would be too great. Yes, I use disguises, slight disguises, a change of facial expression, the addition of a pair of spectacles, a different overcoat, and, of course, I change my courts, and occasionally absent myself altogether. I left the law courts this morning, by the way. And now... Now, he said, I'm going to have rather a bad accident. When I get over that, I shall go into the country and get bitten by a lot of dogs. I am not mad. There are different branches of my business. I confess that I don't understand it. 
I should describe it as a blanking business. In the law courts, I am a blank, and can be filled up with the name of any special juror who requires my services. As for the accident, you will observe that the door of this carriage is not properly fastened. No, it is not. As a matter of fact, the neglect of the company's servants, for I arranged it like that myself. When we are coming into Vauxhall Station, I shall stand up to get something off the rack. The jolting of the train will throw me against the door. The door being improperly fastened will fly open, and I shall fall out on the platform. As I shall not hurt myself in the least, having done this kind of thing before, and as it will not be accidental, I may call it a blank accident. I fill up the blanks with neglect on the part of the company's servants, and severe nervous shock to myself. I fancy the company will sooner pay me ten pounds for compensation than let me bring an action. Suppose they won't. Then I shall go to a good solicitor, bring my action, and most certainly win it. If you had served on as many juries as I have, you would know that a jury will always, where possible, and sometimes, where impossible, give a verdict for an individual against the company. And about the dog bites? They are also blanks. I mark down houses where noisy, snappy little beasts are kept as watchdogs. Then I dress myself to look as nearly as possible, as if I were making twenty-four shillings a week. I take a stick and wait until one of those dogs runs out. Then I irritate it. It barks and growls. I keep it off me with the stick. Go up to the front door and ring. Then I say that I have been bitten by the dog. I do not ask for compensation. I say that I am going to prosecute. I want to know the name of the people who live there. The lady of the house, I never call when the man's at home, generally begs me to accept compensation. I grumble but consent. The compensation runs from ten to thirty shillings, and I can get six dog bites in a morning. It is not a bad branch of the blanking business. What do you do if the lady wants to see the bite? She very rarely does. If she does, I always paint a dog bite on my left calf before I start out to work, and I can show her that. I could paint a very decent dog bite. But we are getting into Vauxhall, and I must say good-bye. Charmed to have met you once more. Now for the accident. In a moment he was gone, with his hat-box in one hand and his bundle of rugs in the other. He had fallen out through the door. I saw a crowd gather round him. I saw him carrying his apparently senseless form into a waiting room, and then the train moved off. I saw him a third and last time. It was some little time afterwards, and again it was in a railway carriage. He entered my compartment and greeted me in his usual pleasant, courteous manner. But I thought he looked less cheerful than before. I asked him why he remained standing instead of sitting down. Is it part of the blanking business? It is connected with it, he said. How about that accident of yours at Vauxhall? Was it a success? Complete. You see, I know how to fall. And besides, that bundle of rugs comes in very usefully. You must really let me show you the trick of it one of these days, as you are good enough to be interested in it. In the railway company? They were most reasonable, treated me in a liberal spirit that I appreciated fully. How about the dog bites in the country? Not quite so successful. 
I made between six and seven pounds the first day with blank dog bites, but on the next, as I was keeping a nasty little terrier off in front, a St. Bernard came up behind, and, well, that particular dog bite wasn't a blank. And are you going back to sit on juries? No, he said, rather sadly. I shouldn't care for any sedentary work just now. I do not think I shall take to the blanking business myself. It seems to have drawbacks. I must content myself with a career of modest and unsensational honesty. But I could not persuade the pleasant-looking young man to give the thing up. On the contrary, he told me that he was about to take up with a little blank sanitary inspecting. It is simple. You get admission to a house as a sanitary inspector, and you leave it with anything you can pick up. He has a plausible manner, and I recommend householders to be on their guard. End of section 18. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.